Hey there, Lisa Schwartz here. Welcome to my podcast, Teach and Talk with Lisa, where we are unpacking biblical principles with everyday words and applying them to our everyday lives. In this series, we're talking about how to define your worth. We're walking through all the different ways that the world will try to define beauty. If you recall, we talked about the five different P's, your performance, your possessions, your position, your appearance, your personal relationships, and how the world tries to define us. We talked about the different price tags that are in the world. There's the world's price tag, and then there's God's price tag. Well, today I want us to go back to that Colossians 2.8 and talking about the different perspectives of how um, the world is trying to define um, our value versus how God is trying to define our value. If you would go back to Colossians 2.8 and think with me for a moment about how it talks about being careful that we're not taken captive into the hollow philosophies of this world that are based on human traditions and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. Um, so I want to go to John chapter 8 because I feel like we see a lot of these different um, perspectives in the life of one woman, and it's the woman who's being stoned, um, the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. So I'm going to read this story with you. If you want to get your Bible, open it up to John chapter 8. If not, you can just sit and listen. That's great too. Uh, make sure you're ready to hit pause in case you want to take some notes. But what we're going to be looking for in here is all the different perspectives and perceptions of what's happening in this one story. So I'm in John chapter 8, and it says, And everyone was in his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and he taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, which were the people of God, by the way, and so he's in the temple. The temple at the time was considered the court system. That's where they brought people to be judged. So he's at the, at the temple, the Pharisees and the scribes, the ones who were to be trusted, the ones that were supposed to be the people of God. They were the ones that were supposed to be depicting the love of God. Um, they have a woman that is caught in the act of adultery. And it says, and when they had set, set, and they set her in his midst, then they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, the very act. Now, again, I can't help but get a visual here of considering that if she's caught in the actual act of adultery, it's possible that she's dressed very inappropriately. They have picked her up out of the situation. They have drug her to the courts, the temple, the temple, which was the court system. In other words, was the church to be judged. That's a whole message in and of itself. Um, but that's where she was taken. Um, I often like to ask the question, where was the man in this scenario? Why wasn't he drugged to the temple to be judged? But for whatever reason, the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and I want you to try and think for a moment, put yourself in her, in her shoes and think, how would you be feeling? Um, would you feel shame? Would you feel embarrassed? Would you feel angry? Uh, whatever it is. But I want you to really try and put yourself in her shoes for a moment and consider that she's being drugged by the people of God to the temple, which should in some regard be a safe place to be judged. And then they begin to say, they put Jesus, they call him teacher, and they put him on the spot and they say, now Moses in the law commanded us that in such, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? 
Now I'm I'm thinking I have a I have a little bit of a dramatizing um, background, and so I'm thinking about what this would look like. We've seen it in the Passion of Christ, that scene where there's a big crowd and people are yelling and they're you know saying unkind things to this woman, and there's basically this big hype in the crowd. There's a hype from the Pharisees, and then there's the people that are looking on, just the 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 general people that were at the temple which we will call the church people, right? The people who were just attending church. Um, And so I get a visual of in a movie scene that in this moment, there's all this excitement, all this noise, all this hype, maybe the bass in the music at this point is like, whoa, you know? And it's just like a lot of emotion going on. But when they say, but what say you? Like, this is what Moses has always said to us. This is what the law has always said to us. The law and our culture says she's worthy of being stoned, but what do you say? And I almost get this hush that falls upon me in this moment. Like if it were, again, a movie scene, like you would see it zoom in on Jesus and things would just kind of get quiet, waiting on his response. And so we go on and I love the story because it says, um, This they said, testing him that they might have something to accuse him of. But Jesus stooped down and began to write on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. And so I love this. So we have the opinion of the system. We have the opinion of the the religion. We have the opinion of the culture. We certainly have the opinion of the people. But Jesus silenced his ears to as though he doesn't hear anything. Come on, somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to have your ears silenced to the voice of accusation in your life. And you need to spend some time just doodling in the spirit and acting as though you do not hear the words of the enemy and the things that he is saying to you. Some of us need to learn how to just pause, capture the moment, and honestly just doodle in the spirit for a a minute and just ignore the voices of the world. I love this scene where he, in some regard, says, you know what? I'm not going to be taken captive to your emotion. I'm not going to be taken captive to your opinion. I'm not going to be taken captive to the law. I'm not going to be taken captive to the human tradition. I'm going to own this moment. I'm going to intentionally pause. He, in some regards, brings a holy hush to the chaos of the scene. Come on, somebody needs to bring a holy hush to the chaos in your scene. He takes authority in that moment. He's not navigated by the emotions. He's not navigated by the scene, but he decides I'm gonna take authority. I'm gonna step in dominion and I'm gonna wait. And I'm just gonna begin to draw on the in the sand. Now, this is a great mystery, this passage. Nobody knows what was being written, why he was writing, but what we do know is that he seems unswayed. He seems uninfluenced by the opinion of the people around him. And he begins to just kind of doodle in the ground. I'm like, what a cool guy. And, uh, and I, again, I think we need to learn to do that a little bit more to just take a moment, take a breath, doodle in the spirit, and really hear from God. And so it says, when they continued asking him, so it's not like, you know, so they keep going, hey, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, this pressure to come up with an answer, to react to the emotion. And so when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and he said, he who is without sin among you, let him throw the stone at her first. 
And then he just stooped back down and he began writing in the ground again. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing in the midst. And when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those, who, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, I want us to again really take a look at all the different opinions in this one scene. We certainly have the opinion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were bringing the opinion of the law or the culture of that time. And then we have the opinion on the, of the onlookers, the crowd, um, who seemed to, to be neutral. They, they seem to be neither against her, but also aren't going to take up for her or before her as either. And often, unfortunately, I think they represent the church people. These were the people that were at the temple, and they were sort of just um, neutral. Uh, they were unwilling to get their hands dirty. They were unwilling to give an opinion. They were unwilling to get involved. They just sort of watched. So receive that however the Holy Spirit is telling you to receive it. But I think that God, we're in a season where God is calling us to get a little more involved and to not be so apathetic in the way that we're responding to the things that are going on in the world and that we need to take a stand for love and we need to stand for Jesus. And sometimes that requires us to, to step up. And so nonetheless, the neutrality or the quietness or the apathy of humanity speaks a message to us. And unfortunately, it speaks the message of, I don't really care enough to get involved. Um, that's not my lane. I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to give an opinion. I don't want to be political. Um, and so whatever it is. So we certainly have the opinion of, um, of the, the onlookers as well. And then we have the opinion of Jesus, who clearly sees something in this woman that they don't see. See, when they look at her, all they see is an adulterer. All they see is somebody who's in sin. All they see is somebody who's probably dressed in rags or not dressed in anything at all, who's probably dirty. Um, all they see is maybe they see a whore or they see an adulteress. That's all they see. Um, but Jesus sees something that they don't see. And, and I want to really drive that point home. Jesus sees something in you and I that the world does not see. And part of discovering our worth, part of discovering our value is that we have to learn to look into the face of Christ and see ourselves the way he sees us. This weekend I was doing a conference and sometimes we do this improv preaching and we allow people to throw out just song titles and we just grab it and we try and preach on it. And somebody threw out the song title, You're So Vain. Um, and so I grabbed it and I started uh, preaching on the verse that says, I am the rose of Sharon, the fairest lily of the valley. And that comes out of the book of Song of Songs, and it's being spoken by the beloved, meaning the woman who was loved by her lover, and how there's this audacious confidence in her. And I say audacious in a good way, this, this audacious, tenacious confidence in her to proclaim and declare I am the Rose of Sharon, the fairest lily of the valley, valley, because she doesn't see herself the way the world sees her. 
what she sees is she sees the way her lover sees her. She sees herself in the reflection um, of her image in Christ. And she sees the way her lover looks at her. When I go to a wedding, a lot of times when uh, the bride is coming down the aisle, you know, everybody stands up and sometimes your view is blocked and you can't really see her. And one of the things that I've learned to do is, is not look at the bride, but actually look at the face of the groom. And when I look at the face of the groom and I see his face when he sees her, I don't have to see the, the bride. It doesn't matter because I can tell by looking at his face that she is amazing, that she is beautiful, that he is enamored with her, that he is in love with her, that he cannot wait to be one with her. And that's how it is when we look into the face of Christ because he doesn't see what everybody else sees. He sees something different. So let's go down that path here and let's talk about what God sees when he sees us because he doesn't see us in our sin. He doesn't see us and we hear this all the time. But all over the world, I used to say when Barney, the big purple dinosaur was really popular, I was like, look, we got to teach our kids why is God's love for us, the declaration of God's love, what makes it different than just Barney the Purple Dinosaur who sang the infamous song, I love you, you love me, all those things. And so, um, because there are a lot of people and there are a lot of things in this world that are declaring that they love us, but it's very different from God's love. What makes God's love the epicenter of where we find our value. So I want to go back to Genesis 126 and 127, back to our very Genesis, our very creation. And it says this, starting in verse 26, and, and God said this, let us, meaning um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in unity, they were able to manifest a man in our image. Let us make a man in our image according to our likeness. So it's not just the image, the outward appearance that they designed man to walk in, but it was the likeness, the exactness, the blueprint, the attributes, the character, the abilities of God were impressed, imparted, designed into pressed into humanity in Genesis, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over all the creeping things that creep on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And it goes on, it talks about the first blessing, when he blessed them to be fruitful and to multiply, and he designed them with purpose that they would prosper and that they would increase. But when God looks at us, he doesn't see what the world sees. What he sees is the reflection of his image, the reflection of his likeness. And so we know that the story goes on in Genesis that Adam and Eve were designed in the beauty and in the qualities of Christ. We are, we are like God, God in that we have intellect, we have moral nature, we have the power to communicate, we have an emotional nature, we have a desire to connect. In us, we discover who God is. We discover his 
um, romantic nature. We discover that he is a relational God. We discover that he is captivating, um, that he is beautiful, um, that he is a God who is faithful. Um, and so we are designed with those same attributes. So the more we learn about God, the more we learn about us, our potential, and the more we discover our true potential, the more we discover and reflect God here on this earth. So when God looks at you and I, he doesn't see all the failures, all the informities. He doesn't see all the, um, all the things that are less than. He doesn't see the lack. What he sees is our truest potential. He sees our design in Christ. So let's take it back to this woman, at the woman in, that was caught in the act of adultery. I believe that when Jesus looked at her, all the, thing, all the things of her circumstances and all the things of her emotions that put her in those circumstances, all the life choices, all the rejection, all of the hurt, all of the wounds, the poor choices, the ways she had given her body up, none of those things are what he saw. What he saw was the genesis of her design. What he saw was the Eve and the Adam of her design. And this is so important to you and I because we get caught up in the things we see in the natural. We certainly get caught up in the things that people tell us they see, reminding us of our failures or even reminding us of our accomplishments. It's not just being defined by your failures. A lot of people define us by our successes. But God doesn't define us any way according to what is happening in this world. When God looks at us, he defines us according to our genesis. What he sees is our original design. He sees the reflection, reflection of himself in you and I. And he is passionately, unconditionally in love with that design. So when Jesus looked up and he looked at this woman in the face, all of the yuck of her circumstances was irrelevant to him. It was inconsequential. All that mattered to him in that moment was the love that he had for her and what he saw in her and the potential that she had hidden deep within her. And it was his love that was trying to allure her out of the captivating, the enslaving, definition that the world had slapped onto her. Come on, we're talking about Colossians 2.8. She had been taken captive and become enslaved to what the world said about her, the way the world had defined her. And he, in a moment, is trying to yank her into, pull her out of that definition and bring her into the definition of her genesis, which is you are a child of God. You are designed to walk in his image and in his likeness. That is your potential. I don't care about your past. I don't care what you have failed in. I don't care what man says about you. I don't care what your mama says, what your daddy says, what your grandma says, what your boyfriend said, what your, what your grandpa said. What I care about is the way you are designed to thrive and to soar and to be a reflection of my image here on earth. And so that is what he saw when he looked at this woman and that is what he sees when he looks at you and I. 
And that is what makes us valuable. When we begin to see ourselves not in the, the um, glance of the world or the stares of the world, come on, but you begin to see and sense and, and, and know that God cannot take his eye off of you and you begin to reflect your life in accordance to his glance and his stare. Come on, the Bible says that you are the apple of his eye. That even while you are sleeping, his eye is upon you because he cannot take his eye off of you. Because when he looks at you, he doesn't see what you see. He doesn't see what the world sees. He sees the genesis of your design. All right, so that sums up this episode. In the next episode, we're going to be talking about how the enemy tries to trip us up in there. Um, and the deceptions of the enemy. Uh, but in this entire series, I really want you to be taking this seriously and recognizing, man, how do I measure my value? How do I measure my worth? In every scenario, am I aware at the glance of God and the value that I carry because of his design in me? Do I see my worth in him? Do I recognize the way he looks at me? Would I look in a mirror and say, I am the rose of Sharon, the fairest lily of the valley? Or am I stuck measuring myself according to the world? Look, you're not going to be set free until you're honest with yourself. Let the Holy Spirit really begin to move in your heart and in your mind so that you can go into the next level of recognizing that you are valuable. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can also find me on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my other podcast show, Enforcing Purpose with Lisa Schwartz. For general information or resources, head to my website at www.lisa-schwartz.com. Thanks for listening.